Hello, hello. My name is April Malone, and I'm with Yes, I Work From Home, and this is the podcast. Today, I have Trevor Newberry with me. He is the owner and operator of a company called Newberry Consulting, and he's the co-founder of AppThink. Trevor, thank you for coming today. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Good. Tell us about both of these companies that you're working with. Sure. They're really, really related. AppThink is a... has grown out of my experiences with Newberry Consulting. So I'll give you a little bit of actually sort of of a high level of what I do in general. Um, So I am a product manager and I work with first-time and non-technical founders to help them build their software products. So if you've you've got an idea for an app or a web app, a website, et cetera, et cetera, you've never done it before, you're not technical, you don't have a CTO, I'm the guy that comes in and helps you understand what that process looks (laughs) like and to sort of coach and guide you through that process. And what I found with Newberry Consulting was that it, it's been a really, really great experience, but I have to get really deeply involved with my clients. Um, okay. So I typically only work with two to three people at a time, mm-hmm. which is not, you know, you know, you can probably guess that's not very scalable. Um, <laughs> so what we did is a, a buddy and I, um, who also works in product, uh, we decided that a lot of these principles and a lot of these learnings could be packaged up and taught in a more scalable fashion online. So we decided to found AppThink together. Um, and AppThink is really sort of the the scaled online cohort-based outgrowth of that product management work that both he and I do. So I work for myself. He's actually the director of product for a local startup here in Birmingham. Um, it's a perfect combination. There are plenty of other people out there that do similar work, but we are trying to change that game by adding just enough uh, one-to-one help and coaching throughout that process that it's really, really impactful, but uh, also allows us to service more people at a time. Right. So did you say that you both are in Birmingham? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. So do you get together and work like face to face or do you do a lot of your work remotely with each other? Uh, it's a little bit of both, but he is actually my backyard neighbor. So <laughs> he's about, he's about 150 feet away from me at most times. So yeah. And you know, we went in, in the area of COVID, we do some face-to-face work, but it's always on my back deck and it's, you know, always distanced yeah. appropriately. So well, yeah. that's convenient. Do you literally like have a gate that opens up between your backyards or do you have to like, go around the block? There's a tiny little, there's a gate and a tiny little alley. And then his backyard. So it, they're they're literally right there. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. So, now, yeah. was that planned? Like, were you guys partners before he before you became neighbors, or did it just happen this way? No, we didn't even really know each other before. Uh, I knew his wife. So I actually, you'll, and maybe we'll get into this, but my background is in food and beverage and hospitality, actually. So it's kind of an odd start for someone that works in software now. Um, but <laughs> hey I, yeah, I know it's that is what it is. This is this is the millennial lifestyle. My mom. Always uh, go ahead. <laughs> I was music and art, and here we are. I teach yeah, English. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> My mom always comments on. I'm so impressed at how how flexible you are and how you can change direction so easily. And I'm like, that's literally all my generation knows. It's like that's the like, definition of yeah. Yeah, that's what we do. So. That being said, I knew uh, his wife through a teaching farm. So she worked for a nonprofit teaching farm here in Birmingham. Um, and we would buy a lot of produce from them. And that the proceeds from that went to help fund their education initiatives in schools. So I knew his wife. And then they mo- they bought a house right behind us. And they moved in. And then over the past couple of years, we've just gotten to know them and become good friends. Yeah. Did you even know that she and her husband had bought the house or just later happened? Yeah. Yeah. And I tell people this all the time. Birmingham is the biggest small town in the world. So like everybody kind of knows everybody. Everybody's just like a degree or two removed from each other. So yeah, we, uh, there were people that we knew that were good friends that would say, Hey, you know, Dave and Mary Beth, they're buying that house behind you. So we, we knew it was happening all all the way. Yeah. There's probably a few jokes about that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I grew up in a small town, so I kind of get the idea. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And actually I didn't ask you, where are you located? I'm actually in Arizona. But okay, I'm originally cool. from Minnesota, and I spent time in Missouri and Illinois. So Great. lots of Midwest and cold. And now my husband and I were talking just last night. We're like, after living here in the beautiful winters that we have, my my family had got dumped on with snow twice in the past week. Mm-hmm. And it's like mid-October right now, as or, you know, yeah, in mm-hmm. the last second half of October, they've, they literally have snow on the ground. Um, and yep. it looks like Christmas. So my, like, my parents what? live in Columbus, Ohio. They're um, not so, sad yeah. to be here. Yeah. No, it's fine. Rather, they say you can't shovel snow, sunshine. And yeah, yeah that's, a, that's a whole <laughs> other story. But I don't think I've yeah. ever been to Alabama. 
there's, you know, Alabama is a surprising state. Um, it, it is in some ways a very uh, problematic state, uh, but also it's a beautiful, it's one of the most biodiverse states in the country. It's sort of a hidden gem. Wow. Uh, so if you're into hiking, if you're into camping, uh, we have everything from sort of flat, pretty farmland to mm-hmm. the very foothills of the Appalachian Mountains oh, wow. to a really beautiful coast. So all kind of packed into one state. It's a, it's, it's a surprisingly pleasant place to live. Yeah. You're su- you're uh, you're selling it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and it's a very inexpensive place to live. So, so there's let's, that. Let's go back into your history a little bit. Sure. And why don't you? I know you gave me like the broad overview, bird's eye view of this, but let's talk about how you got into the software development and sure. why specifically you're wanting to work with people who are non techie. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I get it. So. I know it's a, it's a big problem right now. Um, just to kind of give you the the background that you asked for, I worked for a company that experienced a fire in 2017. And when that happened, we were closed for about four months. I didn't know what to do. I was really lucky. I had a paycheck coming in and a couple of, uh, yeah, a couple of very good friends of mine said, Hey, you should look at consulting. You know, a lot about the industry, you know, maybe you can help some people out this way. So I started by targeting food and beverage businesses, hospitality businesses. I knew a lot about it, everything from the accounting to uh, purchasing uh, the supply chain, the logistics of it, hiring, firing, training, the whole thing. What I found was that that industry is very poorly situated to pay for and even really not a lot of demand for professional services. Okay. So along the way, I was really fortunate to be connected to a couple of accelerators, student accelerators, um, incubators here in the Birmingham area. So and a lot of those, you may know, a lot of those have to do with tech. Um, mm-hmm. So I was asked to be a mentor several times over and was exposed to some different software ideas. And I thought, this is pretty cool. A lot of the same principles apply here. Um, it's not a one-to-one, but I'm I'm really interested in this industry. And so I just organically began to move my own training. So I did a lot of my own internal training, um, a lot of the work to sort of understand the industry uh, and what goes into working with building software. And just over the past few years, I've really organically, but very intentionally moved my business in that direction. Now, when I talk about non-technical uh, or first-time founders, what I find is that there are a lot of people out there that have really big ideas um, <clears throat> and they want to build something like a mobile app. They want to build something like a website or a web app or sometimes even people that I talk to that have big ideas for big SaaS platforms that are really, really complex and really expensive to build. Uh, but because there's not a lot of experience or any experience with those people, there is a huge thing that we call at AppThink the software sinkhole, where there is the process of building software is so different and so unique and so problematic if you don't know anything about it, that a lot of people that don't have a, a technical co-founder, they don't have a CTO, they don't have, uh, they're not coders themselves, they end up losing a lot of money and a lot of time on these projects. So I have a really, um, a really deep passion for those folks and saying like, there's not really a reason that they shouldn't have a fair shake at building a really successful software product. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I really work hard to help those people understand what that process looks like and to have successful outcomes from those efforts. Yeah. A fair shake. I like that. Yeah. So basically there's a market there, but there's also mm-hmm. a sinkhole and not very many people can navigate those, um, mm-hmm. all of the nuances in the, in the tech yeah. side of it. Yeah, I can see that. I've had big eyes ideas before and definitely wasn't able to implement them. So <laughs> <laughs> it's really, really hard. And and you know, this may not be the the direction you want to go, but if you know, I have lots and lots of deep thoughts around why that happens and what the specific elements of that sinkhole are. But suffice it to say that it's unlike building any other product. It's unlike building a sneaker or a pen or whatever. It's it's full of uncertainty. It's full of really hard decisions is full of a lot of hurrying up and waiting, right? Mm. Which a lot of people are uncomfortable with. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's not really a lot of very, there's really not a lot of very good analogs out there in product land in general uh, that help people understand what this process is going to look like. So, yeah. Okay. So my audience is comprised of people who work from home who are either employees of a company Mm -hmm. Or maybe like um, a small business owner working with a remote team or they are entrepreneurs. Yeah. So would you say that 99% of your people are these founders who are like first time entrepreneurs or do you ever work with the corporate side as well? 
So somewhere in between, actually, um, it's a little more rare to find someone who's never done it before. Usually what I actually find are people that have started a traditional business Mm -hmm. um, successfully and have said, hey, look, I've banked some cash. I've got a big idea for an app. Let's move some of that funding in that direction, right? And so, um, but I do run into people that are truly like no experience with entrepreneurship, no experience starting a business. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are those are actually some of the most exciting people to work with because there's such a, you see set, like immediate results, right? You see immediate impact with the first meeting that you have and say, here are the first three things that you need to do. They go, whoa, my wow. mind is blown because um, it is totally different. It It is something that just doesn't, yeah, like I said, it doesn't really have an analog anywhere else. Doesn't necessarily come naturally. <laughs> no, not at all. So when we think about starting businesses, and this applies to your, your stay-at-home people, your work-from-home people, your entrepreneurship. When we think about starting businesses, we think, what's the first thing I need to do? Well, maybe there's some research involved, but most people go out and find out, like, what is it going to cost? What are the components of it? If I want to build you know, this mechanical pencil, you know, where do I source the materials? How do I get the CAD designs? All this stuff. With software, you know, the big risk is that you're going to build something that no one cares about. Mm -hmm. And you're going to pay $200 an hour for developers to build that thing over six months. And you're not going to know if you do it the way that you normally produce a physical product, you're not going to know if you've built something that anyone cares about until you have the product finished, right? Which is a huge danger. You're putting $100,000, $150,000 behind something that you literally have no idea if anyone cares about it. So the real like script flipping that happens for people is we, we, do, we do a lot of work on the front end to interview potential users. We do a lot of rapid prototyping. We do a lot of tests. Market research. To ex- <laughs> it's, it's market research. It's market research in a different way than most people think about it, though, because it's actually getting in front of people okay. and putting even fake products mm-hmm. in front of people to see, you know, how do you react to this interface? Do you can they find the right button to click? Mm-hmm. By the way, do you even care about this? Pro- is this a problem that you don't care about solving or is this a problem that you really care about solving or is it not a problem at all? So a dear friend, I don't know how long ago it was, maybe 20, 30 years ago. Um, some family friends built a house and Mm -hmm. the dad was, um, he was an electrician, but had a lot of people in the, you know, construction business. And so he and his family members and friends and family built his dream house for, they had seven Mm -hmm. kids and built it on the country between two really huge trees. And it was gorgeous. And it took so much time. Um, and in the end they lived in it for, I think a year and then they sold it. (laughs) They said yeah. it cost so much more money than they expected. It took so much longer and it was so stressful mm-hmm. that they just had to basically move back into town into a much smaller house. And that's, mm-hmm. they, they stay there for like 20 years. Yeah. Um, and I guess what you're talking about is just making me think about that situation. Mm-hmm. Like, is it possible that everyone has like unrealistic expectations about how much yeah. money is going to cost and how much time it's going to take? Mm-hmm. And then they're like, oh, my God, I had no idea it would be this involved. Yep. Or does it, do you ever have the happy ending where people are like, oh, that was easy? We always shoot for the happy ending. Um, <laughs> it's never easy. You know, starting a business and launching a product is... It, it. I had this conversation yesterday with a new client that I'm onboarding. Um, and I made recommendations that, you know, I've always got these books beside me that I'm like, you know, read this book and read this book. But I always tell people, books, books are great resources. Uh, you can find you can find the information that I provide in my services anywhere online, right? Like if you look hard enough, Yeah. but the practice is what's the most important thing. Um, and, and that's where I think most of the hangups happen is, is the resistance to the time that it takes to get comfortable with these processes and these techniques, the time that it takes to do that. It's, it's a little discomforting, but it is also the old, uh, adage of you slow down to go faster, right? Hmm. If you slow down early on with building specifically software products, but it really any product that comes with a lot more unknowns than knowns, um, that's the way that I put it. So, you know, if you know a lot, if there are more things that you don't know than things that you do know at the beginning of the process, like the agile methodology to get technical is a really good fit for that. Um, And if you slow down at the very beginning and do the work that you need to do to turn some of those unknowns into knowns, you're going to have a 
ultimately a cheaper, faster, and more successful experience. Hmm. Very rarely does anybody build a new app or a new website or whatever. And it's Uber, you know, like, or Airbnb, like (laughs) that iterative process is so important. Even if you get it out of the gate and it's, it's moderately successful, there's still just like over the lifetime of a product, you still have to keep going through this process of iterate, iterating, talking to your customers, testing different things. It's a long process, but to get from idea to what we call an MVP is, can be a, it's never painless, but it can be a successful process if you're willing to do some work that feels counterintuitive. Got it. Yeah. And also, you know, one of the things I thought about when you're talking about the house is that that is a, that is a really, it's interesting because people use homes as analogs for building software and it both works and doesn't work at all because the difference with software is that like with a house, you can, you can't tear the foundation out, right. And put a new one in. The whole house comes down, right? Once you've built it, you've built it, right? With software, you can. And so that gives you a lot of flexibility, but it also brings a lot, like with that greater flexibility creates a lot of unknowns. Like Mm -hmm. what sort of database mechanisms do I need to have built here? If I change it out for this, what does that do to the experience of using the software? You know, what is the, you know, if I tear the wallpaper off the walls, you know, so to speak, like what does that do to the user experience? And all those things are a lot more, easy to do with software than they are to do with physical products. So it creates like opportunity, but also creates, you know, like we talk about uh, Steve Jobs and Barack Obama, how they, they wore the same thing every day to reduce decision fatigue. You run into decision fatigue with applications, with Mm -hmm. software. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because there's just, you can build most things that you want to build, but what's the best way to do it. And that's really the, the process of, of answering those unknowns, turning those unknowns into knowns. That's what that process is. Is like, okay, there's all these options. How do we narrow it into what's the best and most viable option? Yeah. Let's talk about efficiency for a few minutes. Sure. Um, when I was asking you some things that you might want to talk about in this interview, mm-hmm. you seem to have a lot of ideas about uh, managing your own workflow, efficiency, and like you said, reducing that fatigue. Mm-hmm. Did you say that? You you were talking about decision fatigue. Um, <laughs> yeah. How does that play into like your everyday life mm-hmm. working from home? Yeah. So, you know, COVID-19 obviously changed a tremendous amount about working from home for a lot of people. My yeah. wife is working from home for the first time ever. Yeah, um, my husband she, too. Yeah. Thankfully, she loves it. It's a great change for her. Yeah. Uh, but I know that's not true of everybody. Mm-hmm. And so I want to say one thing out of the gate is that it's really, really hard and it's a never ending process of figuring out how to work from home and do it efficiently. Mm-hmm. My advice tends to stay high level because as you probably saw from the, the pre-interview questionnaire, I'm really acutely aware of there. Everybody has different situations. People have kids, even there's differences in, in predilections for men and women uh, for different kinds of jobs. And so, you know, the thing, the biggest piece of advice that works for me is to have a schedule mm-hmm. um, that you stick to, to have a routine that you stick to. Because what I find is that, again, that's the decision fatigue thing, is that if one day I'm up at 10 o'clock in the morning and I start working, or one day the next day I'm up at 6 o'clock in the morning and start working, I am so much less productive. I get so much less done. Um, so I try to stay on a schedule. The flip side of that is that I, I do have some more flexibility. Uh, I mentioned that we have some construction next door. Yeah. So we live in a, in a historic neighborhood. Uh, the homes were built really strangely close together. Uh-huh. Um, so <laughs> I live in a neighborhood work- like that. <laughs> yeah. So the workers in this home, someone just moved and the new owner is doing remodeling. They left all the lights on in the house last night. And that's like, our homes are so close together that all the light was like streaming into our bedroom. Oh, wow. So neither my, <laughs> neither me or my wife slept worth a, worth a crap at all last oh, night. Man. So, I have the flexibility to sleep till seven this morning instead of six, just because I need some extra sleep. But I do that as an, that's an exception to the rule. I get up Mm -hmm. at six every morning. I have a routine with the dogs. I have a routine with breakfast and it's hard to describe in really concrete terms, but over time that has a profoundly positive impact on what I'm able to get done. Um, I also, uh, and stop me if I'm getting too far into the no, weeds I love here, it. but keep going. Um, I also use, and I think again, the tool that you use is entirely up to you, but I use Michael Hyatt's full, full focus planner. Um, but the point of that whole product is 
to have a plan for my day. And I try my very best to do that the day before. I don't wait until I start that day to plan what I'm doing. Um, I also do planning for the week. So um, on Sunday afternoon, Sunday is what works for me. Some people do it on Friday, Saturday. But on Sunday afternoon, I sit down and say, I've got client one, client two, client three. What are the most important things? If I'm going to, if I call it a successful week, what are the most important things I have to get done for client one, client two, and client three? I write those down and I have a, a, a one page, actually sort of like an open two page for every day where I can take notes, I can schedule my day, I can write those most important things down. And that really helps me stay on track because as you may have picked up, it's complicated building software. And when you're working with two or three different software products in different industries, it can get a little bit wonky. Your brain uh-huh. can get a little confused. So, um, so <laughs> that planning, that, that, planning the day before and even taking stock of what your week, like defining what a successful week looks like on Sunday or Friday or Saturday or whatever, and writing that down and holding yourself to that is incredibly, uh, incredibly helpful. Yeah. Would you describe yourself as someone who is self-disciplined, focused, or would you find yourself more at the other end of that spectrum? I identify more with the probably undiagnosed ADHD adult, <laughs> you know, where, and also sleep yeah. deprivation and three kids. And, yeah. um, and I have interviewed some people that just seem very driven and like, they probably make spreadsheets of their spreadsheets kind of people. Like, where do you fall yeah. in and there? Not quite that driven. Um, I just, I, I would just say I, I thrive on routine. Um, I thrive on having, on knowing what's going on in my day. Um, it, I use the description, uh, it's not unlike the conversation around decision fatigue, but it's like, I've got a painting, right. Mm -hmm. And I can put whatever I want on the canvas, but I have to have a frame. I've got to have some boundaries around what I'm doing there. Right. So structure and routine really helps me to, uh, sort of understand how I'm going to paint my day or paint my week, if you will, to stay with the metaphor. Um, you know, that being said, it's not something that just comes naturally. I wouldn't call myself, I know having two companies probably doesn't sound like this, but I wouldn't call myself a driven person. I don't feel that competitive driven, uh, nature, but I don't, I like to be doing things all the time. That's something that is true of me. Mm-hmm. Uh, my wife and I often, uh, will argue about this. My wife really loves to have like downtime, downtime, uh-huh. downtime, like oh, not husband. doing anything downtime. Oh yes. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love having a weekend or a vacation, but I can't not be doing something. I gotta, I just gotta not be doing work. You know, maybe I'm doing something on the house or I'm uh, working on a different project that's just for fun or something, but I've got to be like up and doing something. So I think that's really, it's not so much like a driven, like I've got to succeed sort of thing. It's just a, I just have a drive to do things and having that structure and that routine helps me to organize some of that energy. Uh, because otherwise I do ironically end up sitting in a chair, playing a video game and feeling bad about myself or something like that. You know, (laughs) it's, it's, it's not a very, it's not a very pleasant place to be when I don't have that structure and that routine. Yeah. Right. Now, um, do you work a typical 40 hour work week or do you have mm-hmm. like, uh, do you stack your days or how do you do that yeah. with meetings and things? I've had it, I've had it change over the years of working for myself and working from home. Um, generally speaking, I try to hit about 40 hours a week. I am not, there are times when you need to work for more than 40 hours a week, mm-hmm. starting to start having two businesses. Uh, it certainly will increase those hours and also being in product management. It, it's hard because with product you're, you're working, <clears throat> you know, I'm interfacing with marketers. I'm interfacing with developers. I'm interfacing with the stakeholders. So clients, people that have the money and coordinating all of those interests can take a lot of time and take a lot of energy. But most, most of the time, 40 hours is all you need to get work done. If you can, if you can find a system that works for helping you be efficient. Now, that being said, if you're the kind of person that needs, 80 hours a week, but 30 of those, you're like kind of just figuring things out. You have more, less of a, less of a structured workflow. You're sort of fine, whatever works for you. I would say that you don't need to have your nose to the grindstone for 80 hours a week. That's, Mm -hmm. that's kind of silly. I don't think that if you have a job that requires that of you, then you should reconsider. I just think that that's not a healthy way to be living. I've done that. I've worked in hospitality Mm -hmm. and food and beverage and I've done that life and it it was not good for me. It wasn't good for my marriage. Um, Mm. I would never go back to it. I'm very thankful for the lessons I learned from it, but I would never go back and do it again. 
but yeah, 40 hours a week is what I try to keep myself at. Um, if I go up to 50, it doesn't bother me. Sometimes it's required, but, um, yeah, it's, but also in keeping with the theme of having a structure, like I target that. Right. So it's like 40 hours a week. If I stay on track, like I know I'm going to get all the things done that I need to get done in that 40 hours a week. Right. So it's just a good, it's a good metric for me to measure whether or not I'm getting stuff done. Yeah. I don't know if I asked you this at the beginning, but how long have you been working from home? Because mm -hmm. you talked about you were in the food and beverage hospitality industry. Yeah. How many years were you in the industry and like, when did you go home? So I've been working from home in various capacities, you know, sometimes part-time, sometimes full-time since 2017. Mm -hmm. um, the fire. <clears throat> yeah, the fire. That was, I, that was really the beginning of me doing that and figuring this out, this whole thing out, which was, you know, kind of bonkers at first. I would spend a lot of time tooling around on Facebook because I couldn't figure out what to do. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> it's really... It's really, really hard. It's, I, I want to keep going back to that for your listeners. Like, if you feel like you can't get it right, like, welcome to the club. It's just part of it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You get better at it, mm -hmm. but you never get 100%. It just, I don't know that many people that, that are 100%. But yeah, so 2017, um, I was I was working in the food and beverage industry. God, I mean, since I was 16, for a long, long time. Um, I went to, I went to college. I have a degree in political philosophy. Um, the whole time I worked in food and beverage, uh, like I paid my bills and, uh, drinking money and everything like that it came from, you know, waiting tables and bartending and, and all of that. So, I did it for nine years also. So yeah. Okay, good. You, you understand then. And, and I think that, you know, one of the things that I struggle with now, just personally, it's like my wife has done, she's changed jobs a few times. Uh, she's a nurse. Um, <clears throat> and those hours are not as, as typical, but towards the end of her time in clinical work, she was doing more of a nine to five kind of job. And mm -hmm. I've never had that, you know, I've had, you know, running coffee shops where I was at work at five in the morning. I've had mm -hmm. bartending shifts where I was coming in at one or two and staying Nights till and one weekends. or two. <laughs> yeah. It's, I, I never really had that uh, experience of a nine to five. Um, and so I think that that gives me, that gave me an advantage going into work from home because I, I was more flexible. I didn't have sort of an ingrained expectation of what work was right. Or when you but, had to work. <laughs> yeah. But also it sort of hamstrung me in the same regard because it, it, uh, you know, when I have friends that say like, Hey, I'm applying for this job, you know, I just don't have a lot of those reference points. I've never had a 401k. I've never had employee sponsored healthcare. I've never like, they're just experiences that I've not had that it makes it difficult for me to speak to, you know? Right. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I did the restaurant thing too, for a long time. And I, it's funny because I went from that into a nine to five job and then I ended mm -hmm. up working nights for like 10 years and actually it's more, yeah. more like 12. And mm -hmm. I kind of feel like I'm striving. I mean, I know a lot of people want to just drop that, but I'm yeah. striving back towards those regular business hours mm -hmm. because that's what yeah. my husband does and my kids are in school and I want to have the evenings and weekends with my family and not be sleeping yep. or a zombie or whatever mm -hmm. we've been doing, like basically my kids' this entire life. Do you feel yeah. like you're trying to push yourself towards more of those regular business hours now? Well, absolutely. I, I Like I, I've said, I... I I really thrive on having a, a, a reliable schedule. Mm -hmm. Um, it, it allows me to make better use of my downtime. It allows me to make better use of the time when I'm not working because I can define when I'm not working now, because we don't have kids. We have two dogs. That's it. Like I, you know, like last night I had to get a proposal to a potential client and we ate dinner and I sat down and spent an hour working on that. Mm -hmm. It's not a big deal, right? Yeah. Like I just don't have the demands on my time that a lot of people do. I have said, and will continue to say that parents Throughout the the COVID nineteen uh, work from home lifestyle, y'all are the rock stars. I don't know how you do it. Um, I don't want to do it. It's it's a. I'm sure it's really 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 hard. And and I could not I cannot express uh, adequately enough how much I respect the people that are able to do their work, have kids, manage learning from home, or you know the the real uncertainties behind going to going back to school and all that comes along with that. I just. Yeah, you have you have my utmost respect. Respect for yeah. sure. I um I kind of identify as like a stay at home mom since I am home all the time, but I also definitely identify identify as the working mom. 
But a working mom who stays from who works from home, who sends their kids to school is very different than that working mom who keeps her kids at home and homeschools them at the same time. Yeah. And those are like the champions right now. Like, um, I feel like those are the unsung heroes that we're all like, teach us your ways. (laughs) (laughs) I I mean, I, I follow people on Twitter and Instagram and, 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 you know, my favorite people that I follow are really brutally honest about it. They're like, Hey, this oh, yeah. sucks. I'd love it if my kids went back to school. Cause it's a real pain to uh-huh. have to manage all that. Oh, but yeah. They do it and they're rock stars for it. Yeah. yeah. We are definitely taking one for the team. We kept our kids home and, um, we are actually having yep. an outbreak at our school right now. Um, there's oh, quite yeah. a few positive cases. Um, I mm-hmm. don't know when this is going to publish, but it's, it's not great. I'm not sure if they're going to go back to remote again, or if they're mm-hmm. going to try to like, you know, increase their, their protective measures. I don't know, but yeah. we definitely, you know, you make a sacrifice, uh, to yeah. keep your kids at home during this time but there are also like some beautiful things that have come out of it i have a yeah. daughter who is um pretty high strung and mm-hmm. brilliant little girl and also struggles with i don't know just anxiety maybe we haven't had that yeah. diagnosed but just like she mm-hmm. would have like a meltdown about things that you wouldn't expect yeah. and this has been the most peaceful six months actually more like eight months now wow that we've had it's been wonderful that's Especially awesome. with her. The things that we were yeah. struggling with are not the struggle anymore. We have new things. Yeah. <laughs> but <Yeah. laughs> um I think it's it's made us reckon, and I think it maybe this is relevant to the to the the podcast is mm-hmm. I think that COVID nineteen has made really made us reckon not just with the nature of work, but also the nature of family and friends. You know, we we were super, super super careful at the very beginning of everything. Uh we didn't see anybody for months. It was mm-hmm kind of a dark time. Yeah. It was a tough time. Um, we have, a, you know, a bubble now. So we mm-hmm. have friends that we have had very frank conversations with and we will see you guys. We will hang out with you guys, but we have to agree to be very transparent with each other. If anybody tests positive or starts to feel bad, you've got to let us know. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, and, and I think it's just, it's just been an interesting exercise in, and, and I don't even know that we've really fallen on one side of it or the other. Uh, if there is a side, or the other, but it's been an interesting exercise in, in exploring like what is work, what is important for work to look like and what isn't, and what have we been holding on to as sort of dogma? And then, you know, what is, uh, you know, what is that relationship? How does that impact our relationships with our family, with our friends and things like that? So Mm -hmm. I think it's been very interesting just from a, a a thought experiment standpoint to, to be going through this time. Yeah. I mean, obviously it's been a terrible time. It's been a tragic Mm -hmm. time, but it has, it has called a lot of things into questions and I have, you know, lots of feelings about the dogma of work. Um, and I think that those things have been called to task. Yeah. Let's change gears a little bit. I could talk about that literally all day long. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. I do. I do have my couple of friends that, you know, they stay at home, they (laughs) work from home, they have everything delivered, their kids are not going to school, all of those things. Um, And it is really important to have people that you can talk with, you know, openly Mm -hmm. and transparently about everything. But I want to just kind of dive a little bit deeper into like, um, one day, like, how would you organize a day so that you feel like you're productive? Sure. So what the most important thing for me to do, and, and sadly, I wish I could say I have a hundred percent track record on this. I don't, uh, again, keeping with the theme of be kind to yourself, you never get it a hundred percent. Right. But right. the day before I sat down, um, I go through what I got done that day. I write down what I need to get done the next day. And it's really important for me to keep that to three things. Okay. Yep. My, my planner has space for three big things and then some space for like, if you get those things done, tackle these things, right? So it sort of mm-hmm. visually represents what's most important. And you're doing this on secondary. pen and paper or are you doing it in I'm, a digital I'm do- format? I'm doing it on pen and paper. I am a digital guy. I uh-huh. love my technology. I have, I ordered the the new iPhone as soon as it came out. Like I love this stuff, right? I'm a little it jealous. Is, <clears throat> it is my, it is, it is the thing that, one of the things that brings me a lot of happiness um, in life, but Pen and paper connects with your brain a little bit differently. I find that I process thoughts better on pen and paper. So I use my digital tools mostly to uh, complement those things. So going back to that, I write down one, two, three, anything else that would be great to get done if I have time. And then I even have a space in my planner. And again, you can just create this in any notebook. You don't have to have a specific planner, but I have literally um, like eight. I'm not, I'm literally looking at like one, two, three, four, five, 
Yeah, there's at least eight empty journals in my yeah. office yep. right now. I love, and, and I will, again, I'll plug the Michael Hyatt Full Focus Planner. It's a really, really nice book. It's super, it's hardbound. It, the paper's really nice in it. I, I'm into stationery as well. So like mm-hmm. I use fountain pens and just because it's fun. Again, I have a virtual assistant who I think scheduled this, Paulina, and she put it really, really great. She said, you know, it's, it's the little things. Like they don't really matter, but they just kind of make the process of doing work more fun and more mm-hmm. enjoyable. So anyway, so I use this planner and I have a space that, actually goes through the hours of the day, starts at 6 a.m., actually starts at 5 a.m. and goes through 9 p.m. And I block off what I'm going to do. I only write in pencil in this planner because things change and I need to be able to erase it. I need to be able, and I want to, I also really value the concept of being able to look back to previous planners and say, what did I do last October? I think I did something on that day. I want to see what my day looked like. So I have a recording of that, right? But I write down what my day is going to look like, a schedule in meetings, podcast recordings, lunch, things like that. Um, so that's all the day before. <clears throat> that is, that's the night before. A lot of times I'll do that, like, you know, six o'clock, seven o'clock after dinner or something like that. When I wake up, um, and I'll just go through my day in painful detail. Um, I wake up. Uh, the first thing I do is I make some green tea. Um, that is, I'm a big coffee drinker, but green tea is a little more gentle in the morning. It's not quite as like a, you know, jolting wake up. Uh-huh. Uh, let the dogs out and make a smoothie uh, for my wife and for myself. Um, and then actually I have a meditation practice, um, which I have found it's a little woo woo. I think it takes some people a little bit of time to kind of adjust to the concept of it, but it has been one of the most beneficial practices that I've taken up in the past few years. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a basic mindfulness meditation practice. It's 15 minutes in the morning. Um, really helps me keep my my men, the thoughts and emotions that are constantly with you when you work from home, especially if you own the business. So a lot of people are working from home, but they're still working for an employer. When you own a business and you work from home, everything is you. Marketing is you. Delivery is you. Um, when things go wrong, it's you. There's no one else to look to. There's no one else to support, you know, something, something blew up today. Well, guess what? That's your problem, right? So there's a lot of emotional uh, baggage that comes along with it. I tell people a lot of times, I know I'm kind of wandering here, but I I feel like this is all important stuff and relevant. I tell people a lot of times that I would never go back. uh, I know I take that back. I would be reticent to go back to working for an employer. Um, I love working for myself, but I've never been more stressed in my life. So Mm. it's a trade-off. You know, I have more anxiety and more stress. So that meditation practice, I think, is for me, it's really crucial. It can look different for everybody, but I think it's really crucial. So I have my smoothie and all that afterwards. And then I usually have what I call a workday startup, 30 minutes where I go through my email. I typically have a lot of email. Um, That's just actually, I would say I probably work out of my email for a quarter of the day. Um, go through my email, clear out anything. I'm a really aggressive uh, archive, delete, snooze emails. I want to keep my email inbox down to like five emails at a time. I wish I could say um, I could do that. <laughs> it's it's a well. It took me a long time to get that habit built in, but it does. When you work in your email a lot, if you look at that inbox and it says like a thousand messages, it's just so overwhelming. So I keep or it to twenty thousand like, messages. That yeah. Mine. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Like that gives me anxiety thinking about it. Um, I try to keep it to about 10 emails um, in my inbox at any given time. Everything else either gets snoozed, which means I can like make it disappear and it'll come back to me when I need to look at it. Um, I archive it, answer it, or I delete it. So, um, and after that, then after that weekday startup, that 30 minutes, I jump into my day, which I have already planned um, in my planner. So I can start to work. I've got my schedule. At the end of the day, I have a weekday shutdown, which typically is when I will try to I will try to get to planning my next day. Sometimes it is occupied by final emails that I need to answer, sort of administrative setup for the next day. So sometimes I get to that planning process later in the evening. If I can, I try to hit that planning process um, at that time, um, usually about 3.30 in the afternoon. And then I go and do a workout and then... That's it. So I buddy, the, one of the people in our, the only couple that's really in our bubble, I don't have a garage, but he does. And working out has always been something really important to me. And I think it's also really great for your mental and emotional health. So we built a garage gym in his garage. We split the cost of the equipment and built that there. And, and that's really the end of my, you know, I have a schedule for the day. Everything after that is, you know, dinner and hanging out with my wife. So where did you put your office in your home? And okay, let me, I'm going to ask two questions and I'll just tell them both up front. 
And when did you hire your uh, personal or your virtual assistant? Yep. Good questions. Um, So the office in my home is in a guest bedroom that rarely, especially in COVID-19, gets used as a guest bedroom. So it is a office with a bed in it. Um, That's that's where I'm sitting right now. You can barely see it. I kind of turn the lights off and close the blinds, but that's, you know, there's some pillows right there. Yeah. I did that before. Guest bedroom slash office. And then when we had guests, I had to move everything out. Yeah. I leave the desk in here and everything. I just clean it up for guests. It's like, mm-hmm. like this is 98% of the time this is an office and 2% of the time someone sleeps in here. Right. So the stuff stays. Um, but when it comes to the virtual assistant, um, Paulina has been a godsend. I, I could not express how much I appreciate having her as a part of my little tiny team. Really, it's just the two of us. Um, yeah. Now she's she has transitioned uh, to working with AppThink. So Newberry Consulting, because I really only work with two or three people at a time, it's manageable for myself. Um, It's not really something that I have a hard time keeping up with, but AppThink is going to be a bigger deal. So she's helping with uh, a lot of the digital marketing stuff, scheduling stuff, helping with like scheduling podcasts, things like that. Um, So I hired her a little over a year ago. And I'll be honest, if she listens to this, she may get mad at me. I did it kind of out of curiosity because I'd been looking into what it was like to have a virtual assistant, you know, like there were all these things that I needed help keeping track of and I wasn't doing a very good job of. And, and I had, you know, I was really fortunate that I had enough income that I could afford it. So Mm -hmm. I brought her on and I was like, let's figure it out. Let's find a, let's find a place for you because I thrive on having some human connection. I don't need a big team on my company. Mm -hmm. I, I don't need more than a handful of people at max, but I don't do well when it's just me. You know, my wife does not want to hear all of the problems that I have with work. She does not need to hear all that. I need someone that I can lean on and talk to and help process what's going on with my business. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, from the technical side of things, from helping with digital marketing, prospecting, handling emails, scheduling, all, all of the above, she's been a godsend, but also just having someone there that I can shoot a text to and say, you'll never believe what happened. What do you think about this? Right. Because I can't, I can't do that with Abby. You know, I can do that with Paulina. Oh man, I can relate like to -hmm. everything that you just said. I hired a virtual assistant in June and my company is brand new. We are not Mm -hmm. generating enough income right now. I'm still doing my working from home, teaching English Mm -hmm. stuff, but Mm -hmm. my husband is not involved in this business. He's got his own job and he actually is more of the homemaker of the family. He really likes uh, cooking and planning meals Mm -hmm. and he probably wishes I'd help a little bit more with the cleaning. Actually, that's me too. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And so my grandma um, sent some money and I'm like, I know exactly how I'm going to use this because there are some things I want to do with this podcast. And especially since I wanted to do video, Mm -hmm. I have literally no idea how to edit. Like, I, I mean, like there's not enough time in the, in the day. And then we also knew that we would be keeping the kids to do online school remotely with their teachers at school. Um, And that honestly has taken way, way more of my time than I expected. I come from a homeschool Mm -hmm. family. Um, I was homeschooled for seven years, but homeschooling with just your mom helping you is different than having to like go through all of the hoops of like Mm -hmm. getting paperwork and worksheets and things back to a teacher in another location that has taken probably three times as much time of my time than I expected. And so I'm so thankful to have this extra support. Absolutely. I love, I love it. And I recommend that anybody that runs their own business, at least consider it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I used a company called Belay to source, uh, uh, my virtual assistant. Um, mm-hmm. and they were really, really helpful. Um, but you can just find people on Upwork or Fiverr, um, or in your network. If you mm-hmm. know someone that's used someone, they can make a recommendation for you. Right. Um, they're very, very helpful. And the one adv- piece of advice I would give people, and, and you may echo this at the same time, is one of the hardest things for me personally as a type A person was giving over that responsibility. Oh, yeah. And that took, that took several months for us to sort of like hash that out together. Um, but the more that you can, the more responsibility you can give up and give over to that person, the more value you're going to find that you get back from their time. Yeah. (laughs) My virtual assistant is going to be literally editing and like doing the transcript with me for this. And so he'll be reading every single word, um, and listening to it multiple times, me talking, but I, I totally agree. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's little things that I was picky about at the beginning and I'm like, 
about a week or two ago, I actually interviewed someone and he kind of challenged me about my perfectionism. And I was mm-hmm. like, you are so right. I have not pushed forward in my building the company and mm-hmm. creating content that maybe that I could sell or the things that mm-hmm. will make more money. And I've yeah. been like nitty gritty on these little things. And I'm like, we've got to take our... I don't want to say bring our standard down, but we need to increase mm-hmm. our efficiency by letting go of some of the things that maybe don't really matter. We had a an, um, an interview a little while ago that had an echo in it. Sure. And, you know, we could have spent a week and a half trying to get rid of the echo. Yeah. Trust um, me, I know. And then I was like, <laughs> screw it. It's not worth it. Yeah. <laughs> I think Just that people go. will be able to suffer through this. And, and we were able to bring it down quite a lot. But at the very yeah. end, I was just like, it's not that big of a deal. Um, and yeah. you have a podcast and you started another one. Yeah. Yeah. So I have, uh, we were talking about this pre-show. Um, I have uh, a podcast called The Dispatch with Trevor Newberry. Um, it is a, I wouldn't even call it a passion project. It is a when I have time for it project. Um, I don't have a regular posting schedule. I interview people when I find something interesting that I want to talk about mm-hmm. or someone interesting that I want to talk to. It's a purely creative outlet. I really don't care if it has 50 listeners or 50,000 listeners. It's just fun for me to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I am uh, getting ready to launch a podcast for AppThink, which will be a more regular posting schedule. Um, it'll be topically more concise, so it will deal with non-technical and and or first-time founders founding software products. So we'll be do, we'll be diving deep like the first series that I've got as uh, a three-part series on design. What is design for software, right? Cuz design is something that's generally thought of as like how do you make it pretty, but it's that's really like 10% of what design is. Mm-hmm. Honestly, making it pretty is like especially when it comes to software, it's the it's the last thing that we need to think about. Uh, mm-hmm. more it's more about function and human interaction that we talk about. So, with the first three series is me talking to a good friend of mine that works at a software development firm um, about design, and we're going to move through some different processes with that podcast as well. So, we'll interview development shop CEOs and say, "Hey, you know, what's your experience with non-technical founders? What do you wish that they knew coming to you guys?" You know, so really just trying to create content on a regular schedule, which is a challenge for me, obviously with podcasting, um, that will accent and, and help make the best of the app think product and the app think experience. So, yeah. Um, and actually I don't, I don't want <clears throat> to totally jump off of that. So go listen to the dispatch. Love to hear your thoughts on it, but you were mentioning something just a minute ago, uh, about, you know, lowering your standards. There's a principle out there in, uh, in, behavioral psychology. And I I actually may get that part wrong, but it's called the Pareto principle and I live by it. And because I have a similar, I have a similar problem. And the Pareto principle basically says that 80% of the value of something comes from 20% of the work. Mm -hmm. And I live by that. I will try to get as much of that 80% as I can. And if I have time to look for the next 20%, I will, but I I find that it is a it is a much lower efficiency use of my time and my effort to go beyond that. So right. I'm like you. If I if I record a podcast and there's weird coughing or something like that, I'll remove I'll spend that 20% of the time removing everything that I can and when I'm done with it, if I've spent an hour and a half, 2 hours editing it, I'm done. Walk away from it. It's mm-hmm. fine. People have heard coughing before. It's an audio podcast. It's fine. Yeah. Um, and it's the same thing. I used to obsess over reports that I would send to my clients, right? Uh, I don't know. This is a terrible thing to admit. But what I found was that if I had some typos or if the formatting was a little off, no one cared. Because what they cared about was whether or not the content was valuable, whether or not it added value to their process as a, as a founder. So... I save a lot of time and a lot of energy and frankly, a lot of grief by saying, when I hit that 80%, I'm going to, I will get, it doesn't mean that I don't tackle that, that remaining 20% of value. I just do it when I have time for it. And I don't stress about it if I don't have time for it. Yeah. How do you spell Pareto? P-R-E-P-A-R-E-T-O principle. Okay. Yeah. Um, before or the we, 80, the 80, 20 rules, okay. people call it. I will yeah. have to look into that. And is it a book or did you just find it online? No, it's a, it's a, it's a theory. Um, okay. it's sort of a, a work. I, I, I'm, I'm blanking on the specific part of psychology, the specific section of the psychological world that it uh, applies to. So I'm going to say behavioral psychology. I probably got that wrong. So forgive me. Don't worry. Um, <laughs> but it's, yeah, it's a theory. So that, that 
people have come up with and and it's often applied to work and saying you need to you need to maybe put a stop at that 80% and reevaluate when you have time for it because you have other more important things to do. Yeah. I, I wonder if that like goes along with things I've heard about like 20% of the people get 80% of the work done. Like I wonder it's the if... same. It's the same thing. Okay. Yep. Interesting. It's the same thing. Yeah. And, and that applies in a lot of different ways. Yeah. And actually, you know, when I mentioned that I work out a lot and that's in strength training, it's the same thing. Uh, I have a trainer that I work with and I remember, I'll never forget him telling me like, here are the things that you absolutely need to do and we'll get you 80% of the results that you want. The remaining 20% are going to cost you four times much, four times as much effort, four times as much time, probably not worth it unless you're planning on like competing as a power lifter or right. something like that. Like this, these things are the most important things to do. It's 80% of the value. The rest of it's going to take so much more time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I like it. It's a common, common principle. I feel like we could talk for quite a while about all of these things, but I would like to hear you um, just off the cuff uh, for one mm -hmm. minute. Could you just tell us what other books are you telling that people to read? You said, I've got a lot of books I recommend, and you held up one, yep. and you mentioned Michael Hyatt's uh, planner. Is that actually a book about using a planner, or is it actually like a planner you buy? So Michael Hyatt produces gobs and gobs of content. Mm -hmm. um, he's got podcasts. He's got planners that you can buy books. And that being said, I am typically a little skeptical of that. Like I have brought his books, I've read his books. And sometimes it's like, this was a little elementary. Like you packed it, you packaged up some pretty basic information and sold it for 20 bucks. So that being said, love Michael Hyatt. If you ever listen to this, please forgive me. I buy some of your stuff. I don't buy other things, right? 80, 20, right? Like I'm going to get the value I need from you and I'm going to move along. The planner is a planner. So it is an actual like daily, I don't know if you can see this, like an uh -huh. actual daily planner. So, and he does it on a subscription model, which is smart. Um, each one of these is a quarter. So I get one a quarter. The problem I'm running into is what am I going to do with all of these planners when I have four a year that I have uh, to store somewhere, but I'll deal with that when I get there. Um, as far as books, I think that everybody would benefit from <clears throat> learning a little bit more about messaging and positioning about how to talk to and about to your customers and about your product in a way that connects with your customers. So I always recommend building a story brand is a book. Uh, the company is story brand. It's mm -hmm. a guy named Donald Miller. Uh, he's out of Nashville, Tennessee. Um, it is a, a really easy to understand and follow framework for building messaging. Again, it gets super, it can get super deep. You can spend a lot of time on this, but I feel like that's a book that everyone should start with. I haven't um, read it. I'm familiar with him and I have heard, I've like Googled it, but I haven't yeah. like purchased it. It's, it's quality. It's quality information. You don't have to take the four, three or $4,000 uh, seminar buy the $20 book. He has so much free content. He has a podcast and mm -hmm. uh, an email series that is just, you will get 80% of the value from that much, right? Um, the other one is I think everybody would really value or really get a lot of value from learning about product management. And here's the reason why product management is, you know, I talk about it in the context of software, but even if you don't do product management, it is a it is a human exercise in balancing competing interests and in balancing what features do we need to build? What does the marketing team need from this? What does the sales team need from this? What does the stakeholder need from this, right? So I think everybody, even if you don't do product work, as a business owner, as someone that has a product that you're trying to sell to people would really, really benefit from learning more about what product management is and what the principles are. So Marty Kagan has a book called Inspired. I'll put that in here as well. Cool. Thank you. That's a good one. Um, yeah. And then that's, I mean, honestly, I stick to those. I, I read a lot of business books and most of them, as Seth Godin says, you know, people ask Seth Godin, you know, how do you get through all the books that you want to read in a year? And he says, I read until I get the joke and then <laughs> I put it down and I do the same thing. I'll buy the book and I'll read until it's like, okay, I, I figured out what this book is about. I've gotten, I've got the point and then I put it down. But these are books that I go back to over and over again. I will have to, I will say that, you know, now that I'm into this entrepreneurial world a little bit more and I've been, you know, keeping my eye on everything, everyone's trying to sell you their course or their product, but if they mm -hmm. have a book, <laughs> yeah, you can yep. really get a good feel for what they're teaching yep. from a book. And then, you know, you can consider whether or not you want to invest in like a more in-depth or, or con yep. high contact uh, program. But man, oh man, I mean, if so, 
people sometimes put a few years into writing that book and there's a lot yeah. in there. I think uh, to, to that point, uh, there's a guy named Sean Blanc, who's also great to follow. Um, Sean has a, 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 he writes about this a lot. When he talks about buying books, he has a policy and his policy is buy the book. Just buy the book. He's like, <laughs> relatively speaking, as a business, especially, it's a, it's a small business expense. Right. It's 20, usually 20 bucks or less. Yep. Uh, and worst case scenario, it's kind of helpful, but not really. And you're only out 20 bucks. Now, if you go to building a story brand or if you go to story brands conference, you're out a plane ticket and a hotel room and $3,000, mm -hmm. right? So it's a big mm -hmm. investment, but the book's not, there is actually one more book. If you, if you don't mind, Go if you'll indulge it. me. Yeah. So a good friend of mine, um, in Atlanta, his name's Mo Bunnell. Um, Mo has a really phenomenal company called the Bunnell Idea Group, and he does business development training and his friendship and mentorship and his content has been incredibly impactful for me because part of having a business like this, like mine, especially is sales, right? And it's icky. No one likes to sell. I don't like to sell, uh, Mo's system to to put it very in a very elementary uh, <clears throat> description of it is around being helpful, being kind, and providing value. Right? Mm -hmm. It's a fantastic system. Um, just the tactics of it, but also the way that it couches sales and business development in the in the context of if you're selling, you need to be selling something that helps your your potential customer. It needs to be helpful. You need to be generous, and you need to be kind about it. So he's got a book. Again, his his training is also very expensive, um, but he's got a book called The Snowball System um, that I probably I can't believe I didn't think to mention it earlier. I have the lost the dust jacket. It's highlighted and marked up with pen. Um, it's a fantastic resource. So I highly recommend that. Um, he's also got a podcast um, that I think would be beneficial to anybody listening. It yeah. So. Thank yeah. you for these recommendations. We'll go ahead and Absolutely. put all of the links to all of those books into the chat. Uh, how can sure. people find you if they're interested in what you serve or who, you, if they're interested in the products that you serve? You <laughs> what can am I going to say? That's okay. <laughs> if no, they're no. interested in the, in the, I can't, you just, you just take it from here. We will not edit yeah. this out. We'll just keep it going. <laughs> no, that's, that's fine. I do the same thing with my podcast. Um, so I, if anybody wants to find me or get in touch with me, I, I will admit fully that I am the worst. I have the worst digital presence. It's because I spend my time doing work and frankly, digital marketing is kind of annoying to me. It's why I value having people in my life that are good at it. Um, <clears throat> but that being said, I have a website, newberryconsulting.com. Uh, there's also a website for AppThink. It's appthink.io. Currently we're in the process of developing our MVP for AppThink. So what you can do in the meantime is you can go and sign up for an email course. We've put together a four-day, four one email a day, drip email course, introducing the basics of product management. Um, Dave and I put that together. It's really, really helpful. So you can do that. Um, but also at Newberry Consulting or at AppThink um, on Instagram, Facebook, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. Yeah. Um, important to note that AppThink is appthink.io, mm -hmm. which is kind of one of those new TLDs, but uh, that was the one that was available. So that's what we have. Got yeah. it. Got it. And so if we reach out to you, we'll, maybe we'll end up in a conversation with Paulina. Yeah. And um, is the is the drip thing, is the four-day email, mm -hmm. is that free? Yeah, totally okay. free. So we can kind of get a feel for what you're doing and go from there. Yeah, it's a great place to start. Um, it is what's really interesting about it. I had somebody look at it that was a marketer and they're like, you're not promoting yourself enough. And I was like, I'm not trying to. I'm actually trying to provide a lot of value. Um, you know, we don't have our MVP built yet, so we don't have anything to sell you. But mm -hmm. I want people to get a feel for what AppThink is going to do and the approach that we're going to take. So it is just a free MailChimp drip email course. Of course, you give us your email. So when we have something to sell, we'll email you about it. Yeah. But right now, we just want to be able to provide some value and introduce people to sort of the 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 ethos that we're trying to create with AppThink. So that yeah. is fair. Yeah. Well, um, I will also ask you to maybe just send me an email with some of the products like you uh, had mentioned in here that your wife is in love with her desk or you you talked a little yeah. bit about some of the things that you guys like to use. Why don't you just send it to me and we'll put it into the show yeah. notes since we're right, we're mm -hmm. out of time now. Um, my yeah, kids sure. are starting school now, so I need to go over make sure they're <laughs> in their classes. Yeah. Um, and then I'll just put those in. We we do a whole transcript. We do the video and we have the, the podcast, the audio version. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, people can find those links and I appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. I'll send that over to you. Well, thank you, Trevor. This has been a pleasure. Do you have any final words you want to share with our audience? 
Yeah. You know, when it comes to working from home, stick with it, pay attention to what works, pay attention to if something makes you feel good, if something helps you get some, your work done more efficiently, uh, there's not a want, there's not a cookie cutter, uh, approach to this thing. It's hard and it takes time to get used to. So, you know, I like having a schedule. I'm type a, that may not be you, right? So pay attention to what helps you get your work done, write it down and try to repeat it. You don't have to be like everyone else. You don't, you're probably not because that's a myth. So yeah, yeah, pay attention to what works for you uh, and drill down on that. Pay attention to those little threads that you can pull on. I love it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, Trevor. I am April Malone. This is Yes, I Work From Home and we'll see you next time. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Goodbye.